You're listening to Divorce Happy Hour with your hosts, Christina Previtt and John Nocklinger. We're two divorce lawyers from New Jersey here to talk about love, life, and divorce. Whether you're thinking about divorce, going through one now, or been there, done that, or if you're just a divorce lawyer, this show is for you. To learn more about us and our law firm, you can find us at centraljerseyfamilylaw.com. You can also find us on social media. Just search for NJ Divorce Solutions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Let us know if you like the show or hate the show and what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Please keep in mind that this show is for informational purposes only. It's not intended to take the place of legal advice. If you need legal advice, please call New Jersey Divorce Solutions at 732-384-1550 and mention this program for a free consultation. Welcome back. Today on the show, our guest is Dr. William Capena, Ph.D. He's a psychologist who has served as a forensic expert in hundreds of custody evaluations over the past 25 years. Today, he's going to join us to share some of his experience in evaluating families during divorce. Um, he doesn't do any clinical work, so that means you can't, you can't go and sit in front of him and, fi- and find out the solution to all of your problems. But you, if you're going through any kind of legal action and you have an attorney, he can be hired as an expert to um, uh, produce a report to help either take you through a, a trial or can help you try to settle things. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Capania. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, well, We are so happy to have you and to no, hear not. your insight. Yes, we are. <laughs> we are so happy to. So, before, okay. <laughs> so before, we, before we get to you and our topic today, there's a couple there's a couple um there's a couple interesting articles that uh that we saw that we wanted to talk about first. First thing is um should you pay your kids to do chores? Um so this article that we found it kind of talks about the pros and cons of whether or not you should be paying your kids to do chores. But Christina, what do you think? Should you be paying your kids to do chores? Well, you mentioned this earlier to me and my initial reaction was no. Why should you pay them to be a productive member of the household? <laughs> I mean, I almost think you're teaching them that they should expect something extra for something that they're kind of supposed to do anyway. I don't know. That was my feeling. Well, it, it's funny. I told you the story that um, a good friend of mine who's a veterinarian, whenever I my dog was a puppy, um, we used to give him a treat you know after he goes out went outside and and she yelled at us and was like that's his job why are you paying him to go outside and do his job no I feel like that's a little different with the animals because you're conditioning them but I guess you could argue you're conditioning the 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 little children too (laughs) what do you think Dr. Campania oh I didn't I wasn't prepared for this question but I'll answer it anyway Um, it's really complicated There's there's pros and cons to both, on the one hand, you want a child to feel that he or she is part of the family and as part of the family contributes to the overall maintenance of the household and therefore should not be directly compensated. On the other hand, um, be, everything we know about behavioral therapy, including giving your puppy a treat, tells us that it does have an effect on the frequency with which a behavior is exhibited. So on the one hand, you don't want to make it that it's a salary. For example, I'm not going to come into my office unless 
I'm paid. On the other hand, it's um, it's it, it's definitely giving the message that this particular activity is in excess to your regular duty. So what I would suggest is if you really want to do that, it does work, but make it in excess to the usual stuff. Don't pay them for emptying the dishwasher if that's an alternate sure that the family has. Maybe you want to reimburse them for raking the leaves, which is a more arduous task. No, I think that, that makes sense. That's a good point. I mean, certainly no one's paying me to unload the dishwasher. <laughs> that's different. You're dad. <laughs> well, I know, right? You're supposed to do that. Well, and, and I think um, money could be a really emotional issue for a lot of people. And um, But I do think it's important that parents find a way to uh, discuss financial uh, issues with their children. I bought a book recently that's basically, I think it's called How to Talk to Your Children About Money. And I didn't realize you could start talking to your children about money when they're like toddlers. And um, it was very interesting, like just little things throughout throughout the years of the, uh, ways you can talk to your kids about money. And it's not just the dollar. It's things like insurance. What is insurance? You can start getting them acclimated to what the concept of insurance is when they're young. And a lot of kids, when they graduate high school, because the, we know the public schools don't do this, they don't really know anything about money, Right. Yeah, well, you know what? I think we're all indirectly influencing them and teaching them about money anyway, because you you grow up seeing how your family handles money. Are they spenders? Are they spending a lot of money? Or what kind of lifestyle are they living? Or are they always worried about money? And, you know, we do a lot of personal development stuff, and that's a topic that comes up a lot is people's money mindset issue. And do they come from a place of lack where there's never enough of anything? Or do they come from a place of abundance where, you know, they feel like I'm going to live the life that I want and I'll just make more? So I think they're already indirectly learning that stuff. You just don't realize you're teaching it to them. No, absolutely. And I think what Dr. Capania was just talking about is really right on point of the pros and cons. Because, you know, you might have some people who are really want to teach their kids about money and hard work and money and all that good stuff. But most of the time, you just want to make sure kids feel like they're part of a family, that, you know, that, that we're all contributing to this common good. And it's not about money. It's about the contribution towards the family. What and do you think, Dr. Campania? I agree with you. See, the thing is, um, what those of us who are no longer, well, we never were millennials, but mm-hmm. um, those of us yeah. who are not millennials complain about mm-hmm. that age group is they have a sense of entitlement and expectation. Yes. And um, if whatever is meant by teaching them about money, if you mean money management, I'm a terrible money manager, so I'm the last guy to ask. But <laughs> Me too. But talking about people expecting to be taken care of, people expecting that money doesn't mean much because there's always more of it that someone's going to give me, that is a real cogent issue because we have a whole generation now that expects that money expects that something without really having to earn it. Yes, and I it's see that. really an issue. So more than just, you know, how much interest you get on your money market account, um, that should be part of it, too, that there's um, only the, the sense of entitlement that is so rampant now with a certain age group really has to be addressed at some point because we're creating really generations of people who are entitled. And that's not functional, in my opinion, anyway. 
No, I get that. I, I hear that millennial thing all the time, and we've experienced it with different people. We've we've hired a lot of people here and there, and we've experienced the millennial thing. And it is very interesting that people just expect to have something only because they want it, and they can't justify any other reason why they should have it other than the fact that they want it. And they're entitled to it. Yes, they should right. have it because they want it, and yeah. that's it. When I was young, I'm pretty sure I only got a trophy if I won something. And these days, you know, everyone gets a trophy. Everybody does. So, yeah. It's, well, it's, we could talk about that all day. Too, but, but I, you know, of course. But um, basically, the idea of um, not just that I get a trophy if I join a team. I, I see your point. But I think it's much greater than that in terms of you know, everyday expectations, Mm -hmm. um, getting things that I really don't have to earn. I really don't have to pay my own phone bill, okay, Um, because it's part of the family plan. Well, I got news for you. I can can figure out how much you spend on your phone, and you are going to pay for it. Otherwise, I'm going to turn your phone off. Now, there's a way of of non-entitling somebody, still giving them the phone, giving them plenty of opportunity to contribute towards their phone, but if they don't contribute to the phone, it gets shut off. That's a non-millennial way of dealing with kids, and um, generally, whenever I have the opportunity, I espouse that with parents as much as I can. Do you know where this came from? How did this millennial thing happen? Was it a parenting style that came into vogue? How did this happen? Well, yes. Um, basically, as parenting styles changed, I mean, John just mentioned, again, I don't know uh, if that was the only reason that everybody gets a trophy, but um, clearly as um, society evolved and became more affluent, um, perhaps after the affluent years, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But when the, when the market was doing very well and there were great financial gains, but somehow the, the um, concept of expectation has creeped also into the educational system. Yes. It's not just yes. parents. Um, it's, it's educational. Um, you can't mention something if it makes me upset. Yes, yes. You know, um, I, was, I actually gave a talk, Although which Trump didn't go off, have. because I said, listen, I'll be honest with you. Um, if, if I happen to say something, you know, that inadvertently bothers someone, I'm not going to stop my talk. And that's what I was told to do. I said, you know what, get somebody else. Because, well, we, you know, that we have to give our students a safe space. And I said, look, I'm not unsafe, I assure you, and clearly I'd be happy to give the talk, but I can't guarantee you that somebody isn't going to be bothered by something I say. So, um, again, it's, it's really complicated. It might be a nice uh, uh, conversation to have on a different show, but um, we want to be aware of that with our kids. And um, you also see that, not that I'm trying to bring this back to divorce, but very often um, with the whole concept of child support, what the lifestyle should be, um, certainly kind of comes into this, um, you know, that my, my daughter has to be in cheer and has been in cheer, and it costs an exorbitant amount of money, an unbelievable amount of money to do cheer with costumes and travel yeah. and everything else, and she must continue to do it. 
So, you know, very often I think even in divorce we come across these issues, these lifestyle questions as to, well, how much gratification should a child be, be, um, be mandated to have um, and again, I think you know that's something that we should look at in, in some ways. Perhaps there may be, as part of the divorce, some some um, cutbacks. There may have to be um, some areas that simply go by the wayside, and the child will be bothered by it. But I feel like a lot okay. of parent guilt comes into play, and yeah, if right. if you know, obviously, if it's not amicable, and you've got the two parents trying to be the favorite so you know i'll pay for cheer or i'll pay for the you know i'll buy the pony because they want to be liked or they feel guilty because they're breaking up the family well it's also the other side of the coin which is the parent who says why do i have to pay for this (laughs) that's Um, right yes and there's that this is an activity that i was never that invested in any way, and now you're telling me next year it's going to cost X number of thousand dollars more because the child has to travel to Palm Beach for something. And over here, That's and right. Kind of crazy stuff. Um, and sometimes it's not just that I want to give the child. There's, a, there's an anger um, oh, yeah. and a resistance and a resentment that comes out of it also. Yeah, we, so, see, we um, hear it, both it, sides. It's a tough question. Yeah, we hear both sides. But let's sure. move on to what is one of my very favorite topics and something that you and I have talked about before in another venue. And that is, um, I'm sure you hear this all the time, we constantly hear how someone's husband is a narcissist and usually the husbands will say their wives are bipolar. So why don't we talk about that? And I would like to hear you explain what exactly is a narcissist? Is that really a thing? Okay. Well, sure it is. Um, basically, what the, what the party is saying, whether it's, the, whether it's the man or the woman, basically what they're saying is, my ex is nuts. Okay? <laughs> Pretty much. And, and I'm telling you, they're nuts. This is, uh, Doc, I'm telling you, it's ridiculous. And basically, that's the kernel of what they're saying. And then somebody went on Google or something or other and looked up or heard this clinical term that is certainly a real clinical term, no question about it, um, but it fits perfectly with the, in this case, it would be the wife's need to be angry at her ex-husband or soon-to-be ex-husband. So being a narcissistic personality or a narcissist is definitely a clinical term. Without getting a very boring kind of explanation of things, very simply, the person is saying he's selfish. Yes. Okay? He doesn't listen my way or the highway He's selfish. Selfish is probably, if you ask them what they mean by that, selfish is always in there. But they do feel the need to say this person has a, you know, psychological, psychological problem that, you know, is diagnosable and maybe treatable. Yeah, but see, yes, but not really. Okay. um, Well, that's what they think, uh, right? Well, no, not... uh, I don't think, Christina, obviously, I, I really don't think that when the person comes into your office or my office and makes that statement, that they're thinking about, gee, wouldn't it be great if this guy went to therapy for a long time and changed? <laughs> they're not thinking that. What they're thinking is, I want to get away from this guy. 
And everything that I can think negatively about him, that I can throw at him, I'm going to do that. And now, maybe, maybe this particular guy is very narcissistic, very self-involved, very self-centered. Um, again, it's, it's really complicated, but that, again, that's sort of what we, the, the adjectives that would probably fit here. Uh, maybe he is, and sometimes <laughs> they're right. But the reason they're saying it is not to get them help. The reason they're saying it is if I or you or someone they're talking to or somebody at work agrees with them, that helps them be angry and get through the divorce. You see, you know he's a narcissist, right? Yeah, he is. Ah, there you go. He's (laughs) no good. And it's also... and, and people need to do that. It's not, it's not hard to understand. I need to be angry at you to get away from you. I was with you for many years, probably. Maybe I yeah. have kids with you. I have a connection with you. And now I have to break that connection. And that takes rocket fuel. That takes energy. So anger can be a good fuel if it's used properly. Of course, if it's used improperly and I take a uh, sledgehammer to your car, well, then that's inappropriate. But just being angry at you and saying, we're having, I want my best, everybody agrees you're a narcissist. Everybody, everybody agrees. Um, That helps me get through the divorce process because I'm using my anger to see you in a negative way. And um, that's a common thing people do when they're blasting out of relationships, whether it's a marriage or not, but certainly a marriage. Um, You need energy to get out of it. It seems that... And by proclaiming and getting other people to contribute to your energy bank by agreeing with you what a bum or narcissist or whatever um, the guy is, that helps you, um, reinforces you, and it helps you push out of the relationship in which you might have some uh, emotional connection to the other person. Well, it seems that a lot of people, too, and I think you were touching on this, a lot of people feel the need to have some explanation, even if it's just for for themselves, maybe not for everyone else, but for themselves. Why, why is he leaving me? Why is this person leaving? Why does this person not want to be in this relationship anymore? Why is this person not just doing whatever I want them to do? Would you so agree with why that? Why is it just the the, the woman? In well, I'm words, I'm only saying I normally I don't know that I've ever actually heard a man say that, about his wife that she's a narcissist. I, I haven't. Heard. No, no, no. They say that my the, the wife is bipolar. Okay, so you're saying it's like a variation of the same thing, basically. <laughs> right, it's the same. Yeah, it's just um, instead of being selfish um, and self centered, um, that's narcissistic. Yeah. You're being bipolar which is very complicated. They don't mm-hmm. know what it means. Yeah. They think it means mood swings. Yes, moody. So, okay, so because they have mood swings, which, by the way, I have all the time. <laughs> so you story. must be bipolar. I must be bipolar. Um, that, that, so she's bipolar. She's nuts, Doc. Let me tell you, one minute she's over here, one minute she's crying, one minute yeah. she wants to be back. I can't, I can't take it anymore. She's nuts, Doc. See, again, she's nuts. He's nuts. There's something about them that's no good. It helps me be angry at them. Don't you agree? Don't yeah, you agree with yeah. me? 
Um, so, but then it's also it can't be me. Aren't they really sort of absolving themselves of any responsibility too? It's not me. It's her. She's crazy. Or you know, it's not me. It's him. He's crazy. Well, I, I, first of all, you're bringing something up. Very good point. But a separate point, which mm-hmm. is, it's not me. Yeah. In other words, um, to the extent that you feel it's me, that's going to do the opposite of blasting out of the relationship, okay? Um, you know, I, I often think of um, one of my favorite people in the whole world was George Costanza. Now, I guess as we get older, not everybody knows who George I Costanza is. I know who George is. But <laughs> he was on Seinfeld. And he used to have a thing when he broke up with a girl. He used to say, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> okay? And that, that supposedly made the girl feel better. Okay. Um, well, the idea is is that to the extent that it's me, that I'm the bad person, if you really believe that, that's not going to help you blast out of the relationship. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going to help you be by being angry at the other person will help you blast out of the relationship. So you may go back I and see. forth. There may be times that you feel bad for the other person, or there may be times that the other person can evoke something in you, or you remember something, um, or, you know, whatever it might be. That's not going to help you blast out of the relationship. Anger, negativity, he's nuts, that'll help you blast out. And interestingly, the other thing that I hear frequently uh, particularly from women about their husbands, is um, in tell- saying they're narcissistic and using that descriptive phrase. They'll say, "But when you meet him, he's going to be perfectly fine. He's going to be a charmer. Like you won't even you won't see any of these issues that. with him. You, you won't see anything oh, yeah. wrong with him." I've had women accuse me, and you better be careful because he's just going to mesmerize you. He's going <laughs> to don't let him talk you into something. I'm like, I got this. Okay, we're good. I don't see the same thing when you look at him. I don't see the same thing when I look at him. I hear the same thing. Uh, well, usually, again, usually it's the woman about the man. Yes I, I, yes. I don't think I can remember in recent memory hearing it about the woman. No, I agree. But, you I know, agree. generally it's don't let him fool you. Yes. And I'll say thank you. What is that all about? <laughs> I'll work on it. What is that about? <laughs> if you can shed some light on that one, I'd love to hear it. Well, it's the same thing. In other words, he's... Um, so, so maybe you won't think he's as bad as I think he is, Doc. But he's fooling you. He's a bum. He's a narcissistic yeah. bum. And, you know, <laughs> these, these, these sociopaths, these narcissistic sociopaths, if somebody went on Google and did some extra reading, um, you know, when they're sociopathic, they're really charming. Yes. And, boy, they can really fool you. He fooled me. You know, so I mean, like he fooled you. Yes. Okay, thank you very much. Um, the, the point is that, A, you want to feel angry. You want to, you, first of all, you probably do feel angry at the other person. And if you don't, getting divorced and the way the divorce process goes, it'll make you angry. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay. But um, so there is usually anger there already, but sometimes there's also ambivalence. Okay, and sometimes the more you tell me what a bum he is, sometimes, psychologically speaking, I'm wondering, well, perhaps you doth protest too much. 
you know, sometimes, again, when you've been with somebody for a long time, especially if you have children, you develop a certain, what I call, a muscle between the two people. It just happens over time. Okay, it's an emotional connection. And what you're trying to do by ending the relationship, by moving on, is get rid of that connection. Well, um, that's what you're trying to do. And, and being angry won't do that. Being angry, you're yanking on the muscle. And when you yank on a muscle, what happens? It gets stronger. Okay, so um, at this point, when people are just starting a divorce, usually they're just coming to me, because usually people that come to me are in high-conflict situations. You may get a, a wider range of people. But, you know, at that point, we're st they're still yanking on that muscle. It's still really strong. You know, it's still... over time, as, the ang as they separate and day-to-day -day -day living, makes them see, you know, be involved in other things. The muscle, you don't yank on it anymore because I don't see it. I don't live with you. The divorce is over. Maybe we have a parenting plan that works or not. So you're but saying suddenly, marriage is a habit. <laughs> but suddenly you don't feel the anger anymore. You just don't care anymore. Okay? Yeah. You just don't, you know... Uh, Whatever, like, yeah, fine, sure, thank you, goodbye. So what can well, people do if they want to kind of move that along? Um, well, let's be honest. We're dealing with people who are right smack in the middle of, you know, World War II, or at least, if, even if they're not in a world war, which might be my clientele, your clientele, they're still in a conflictual adversarial situation. I don't know if this is the time to do therapy with them. I mean, we could have certainly have somebody else do that, but I don't know. Oh, I'm if not this doing is the therapy. Time to try to be therapeutic. <laughs> this is the time to do crisis intervention. Don't try to change people. Have them deal with the problem in front of them in an adaptive way. And when the problem dissipates, then go to personality change. That's crisis intervention. And I think that's a better model to use. Um, trying to, you know, again, perhaps if it's a very non-adversarial divorce, maybe it would be different. But certainly in my business, this is not the time to do therapy with people. This is the time to do crisis intervention. So is there sometimes a need for anger in order to move forward? Yes, it's fuel. You see, it keeps the, it keeps the rocket ship going. And um, you'll see that with people who are in ambivalent relationships. Ambivalent means that kind of I go both ways. I miss you. I hate you. Go away. I'm lonely. I miss you. Whatever it would be. Um, you know, at those times, that's when the anger really pushes you out and keeps you moving. And if you decided to get divorced... That's a good thing. You want to move out of the overall situation. It might be scary. Uh, certainly, a life change can be scary, moving, can, all those things. Um, but it pushes you. It, 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 it impels you. And that's, what you, that's healthy anger. Again, it's pushing you in an adaptive direction. 
If I was a therapist, that's what I would say. It would be maladaptive or dysfunctional if it's pushing me to key your car, okay, <laughs> to poison your food, to, to um, plan your you death. Know, yeah, you know, put you, go on Facebook and trash you or something ridiculous about which I should be embarrassed. That's a maladaptive use of the anger. Okay, I see the difference. Um, so certainly it's not our role to, like you said, I do therapy and, you know, try to change their thought process. No, but it might be our role as helping, in a sense, helping professionals trying to help them accomplish something. What you're trying to accomplish is a little different than me, but nonetheless, um, uh, would be to perhaps confront them as gently as you can um, when they're, you know, out of line. Now, sometimes you can't. You you, you can go into the the four-way conference and, you know, you're wearing a helmet because you just know it's going to be awful, and no matter what you do, these two people are going to beat each other up. Well, um, there's very little you can do at that point except try to limit them or, you know, something. But, but that's what I mean. It's difficult. We, you're, you particularly are in an adversarial situation with the other attorney. And again, even if it's a friendly adversarial situation, it's still adversarial. Unless you're doing a very mediated divorce or collaborative thing, which are great, fantastic. Um, but the average divorce where there are a, a complaint, a certification written in support of the complaint, do you see what he wrote about me? He did this, and it starts going back and forth, um, and the anger increases. We can try to modulate it. Now, the one area in which the opposite is true that we have the obligation, in my opinion, the obligation to intervene is when you have children involved. See, it's one thing if you're arguing over who gets the steak knives. Or the crock right? pot. The lawnmower, all right? Uh, how much of my 401K, blah, 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 blah. Fine, I don't care. Please, don't. I don't want to hear this. Okay. Now... If it's an issue involving the kids, now we're having a different discussion, okay? Uh, I understand the need to be angry. I understand that. Um, I, I, I know you need to be angry at this narcissistic, bipolar person, whatever it would be. I get that. However, now we're dealing with the parenting plan. You had children. You decided to get together. You decided to get married. These kids didn't ask for this. You decide to get divorced. You have the obligation to give them a parenting plan that addresses their needs. Now, everybody says, absolutely, yes, mm-hmm. doctor. Oh, sure, doctor. And then 10 seconds later, of course, it's completely out of their heads. But yeah. that's, the, yeah, absolutely. I agree. I don't care yeah. how angry you are. I'm sorry you're angry. But we have to evaluate your anger. Because you have to co-parent with this bipolar narcissist. Okay? And borderline is another one they throw in. Borderline personality is another one. You, you have to throw that in. See, so they've um, done their research. <laughs> they, oh, they, some people, oh, it drives me nuts. Some people really do. 
and or they'll say, well, you know, there's an article by Dr. So-and-so that I read. <laughs> they'll say, I don't know who Dr. So-and-so We hear that, too. Don't worry. Yeah, I didn't read that. Well, I but, went um, on to Google, and I found that I shouldn't be paying any alimony at all because of some case in Louisiana in 1903. Or, or my... my- <laughs> Or I read that my husband's a narcissist and he shouldn't have custody of the children. Yeah. That's correct. That's correct. Or this is the parenting schedule that it's supposed to be. Well, where did you hear that? Well, this is the regular. I read it on the Internet. This yes. is the regular. This is or what, this is what my friends have. Them. Yeah. Right. And it's completely ridiculous. But again, you take people for on face value. You understand they're angry. Okay. Um, I'm not asking you to stay married to this other person. However, you have to co-parent with this other person. And if you can't co-parent, one or both of you can't co-parent, which simply means, by the way, does not mean to be collaborative, does not mean I invite you over for cocktails, does not mean you come to my house for Thanksgiving. It simply means that the two parties have a relationship that is sufficiently neutral to allow the parenting plan to work unimpeded. The, ch- the kids are where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. Okay? If I have to communicate with you, I shoot you an email, or I go on our family wizard, which is a website that people use to communicate whatever it is, and I simply tell you what it is. I don't add an additional sentence about, I hope you're happy now, or something <laughs> like that. Nobody and does last, that, last, Dr. Campania. <laughs> And lastly, the kids are not exposed to such seething hostility from uh, someone's mother-in-law or something um, that the child can't be comfortable transferring back and forth between the parties. That's all it means. It's a very low bar. You don't have to like me. It is. Matter of fact, you could really not like me and still co-parent with me. Let me ask you, when we go back to co-parenting, you must see a lot of couples who, one of the parents, I'm not going to say mom or dad, but one of them will try to micromanage what happens at the other one's house. Like, well, he doesn't put them to bed at, you know, 8 o'clock. He lets them stay up till 10, and I don't like that, and that's not appropriate. And Or or he doesn't do the homework. Or he lets the, I've had one where a, a guy was very healthy, and the mom would let the kids eat McDonald's, and he was very angry about that. So... How do you address, or do you address those things with Oh, with sure. Well, one of the things that I find very helpful, and uh, this would be a great, I'm not trying to get back on your show, but this would be a great <laughs> show topic um, about parenting plans and the things people sign. But um, the, the, uh, somebody has to sit with the parents and explain to them the ground rules I'm telling you, when pe- the first thing I do when people come to my office is they hear my opening spiel, and part of that is now it's time for vocabulary. Ready? And we go through what co-parenting means. We go through what custody means. We go through what parenting time means. We define what a primary caretaker is. Um, and very often people, are co- they know I want custody. I have custody. Well, what is that? I don't know. Or full custody. They want full custody. Full custody. I don't know what that means. I said, um, I'm sorry. I don't know what that means. Let's use my, my definitions. So um, if you do that and you explain to people that the definition of parenting time is who's on duty, 
you or me. That's the definition. If you're on duty, I'm off duty. I can't tell you what to do. I can't. I have no way to impel to compel you to put the kids to bed or to make sure they don't go to Burger King but they go to Wendy's or um, I, I I simply can't do it in real life. It it doesn't happen. So the problem is to, one: if I'm not comfortable with you parenting, period, I'm going to have a heck of a time being off duty because. I know you're not doing it right. The second thing is now with technology, when I started in this field, I'm going to date myself, they didn't have texting. So yeah. now you can text on those blasted phones and you can, you can you know, sort of impose yourself on the other person's parenting time very easily. What are you doing? Who's there with you? What are you eating? Um, and that's not how it works. You're supposed to be off-duty. And if you can't be off-duty, we have to talk about that because that's not giving the children what they need. The children need to be parented by the other person independently. And hopefully the parenting time was not assigned to that parent if, after a careful examination, it was clear that person really couldn't handle it. Now, you don't get that in a court. But, you know, certainly if you have someone who doesn't um, really have a sense, of, for whatever reason, how to care for young children, whatever it might be, nevertheless, they were awarded, my blood boils, right? You know, awarded mm. parenting time by the court. Like it's a prize. As, they were awarded it. Really? Well, I have to, I have to, you know, it's the parenting time belongs to the parents. No, it doesn't. Belongs to the children. So when you do it that way, um, you get parents who really may not be particularly astute at handling little kids. Or suppose you have three kids at different ages, you know, three, seven, and 13 or something, you know. Um, it's, it's diff- they can't do it. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, they do the best they can. But um, then the other person, the off-duty parent, oftentimes, you know, is taking tranquilizers because they really are concerned that the on-duty parent isn't so great. And it's, it's difficult, as you say, when that person feels that they're not doing a good job, whatever it might be. Dr. Capania, I think this is a good uh, chance for us to um, tell our listeners what exactly a custody evaluation is, because you've kind of talked a little bit about it, like when people come into your office. But could you just tell our listeners briefly what a custody evaluation is? Sure. Well, the first thing I would suggest is that vocabulary matters. That's why we have a little vocabulary lesson. So I try to avoid the word custody, even though you can't avoid it. In other words, that's the term of art. It's a custody evaluation. If that's all it is, you wasted your time, okay, because it's a parenting evaluation. And the purpose of the evaluation is to look at the issues that are relevant to providing the kids of whatever age the parenting plan that best addresses the needs of the children, which means you have to evaluate the parent's ability to give the kids what the kids need. 
Okay? That's a very simplistic way of looking at it, but that's exactly what it is. So we would look at personality traits of the parents, their parenting skills. We would look at uh, the history of the parenting, who did what when. We would look at the individual relationships between the children and the parents. And I just did something I try not to do, which is use the word children, because sometimes we glob them together. If you have three kids, you don't have children. You have three individual children. See, and oftentimes we don't do that, but Giants. you have to look at their individual <laughs> needs. You have to look at, obviously, the, the simple things like their availability, their work schedule, geography, a big one, where are people going to live? Um, you know, that's a, a big one, oftentimes. And then you go into the big ones, co-parenting. Can you co-parent? Are you so angry that you can't co-parent? Um, or, or can you? The next would be custody, legal custody, which I think you will agree almost all the time is joint. Yes. yes. So it's a very low bar, actually. A very, it's very not, low it, bar. Yeah, it's, it's not a high bar. Um, uh, so unless there's impairment or a very, very unusual, severe inability to co-parent, um, custody is joint and full. Sometimes you can also have uh, legal custody that's joint, but sometimes you, we have a carve-out. And we'll say, well, I'm sorry, um, you know, you're in charge of medical decisions or you're in charge of educational decisions um, because of some particular dynamic. But usually it's joint. So to call it a custody evaluation is a foregone conclusion. Um, you would also look at, so we have co-parenting, one recommendation. Next recommendation is going to be for legal custody. And then again, getting back to co-parenting, should we have a primary caretaker or not? Should we have a school district parent or not? Um, parenting time, who's on duty? That's a schedule. How should the schedule shake out to address the needs of the children? Not equity and fairness between the parties. Um, so that's, those are the things that should go into a good evaluation. And lastly, the point of the evaluation is not to produce some document that no one's going to read. It's to help people who have the authority to make decisions make informed decisions. So 96, 7%, whatever it is this year, of the, of the times, the parents do consent to an agreement. So I would think that we would, they, they would be the first group of people you try to help. Um, and if you uh, are adversarial, if you're a phony hired gun right from the get-go, if you write a report that just is so imbalanced that it's ridiculous, or if you write a report that's so big and obtuse that nobody is going to understand it, or if you write a little tiny report like the Academy Awards, you open the envelope, here's my recommendations, and you don't, yes. give, you don't give the parents or a court or a judge the opportunity to assess why you made the recommendation. So, so that, that's what you want to do. You want to help the parents 
both through the process. Well, I'm speaking for myself now. Um, I look at it as a dialogue between a conversation between myself and the parents that goes on for about 10 hours over the course of so many weeks um, that oftentimes people will settle. I got to tell you, the overwhelming majority of the evaluations I do settle. Well, I have colleagues, very esteemed colleagues, who are in court all the time at trials, all the time. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. No, but, I, I, think, um, I think it's I, a failure if well, they end up at trial. Well, most of my cases settle. So, um, and I think that's because if you make recommendations that are reasonable, if you're respectful and fair to people, um, and you're balanced, very often they will accept at least the majority of what your recommendations are. Um, so that's really what a quote-unquote custody evaluation is. You don't have to have one. The court may order it. That One side may hire someone. Uh, both sides may hire someone, however it is. But that's what it should be. It should be a balanced evaluation, and when you read it, you know why the psychologist made the recommendations he or she made. Well, I think we now know why so many of your cases settle and don't end up in trial because of the way you approach these evaluations. And really, it's about helping the parents. And I think a lot of times, uh, other custody experts may try to, or at least from the perspective of the litigants, may think that the custody expert's choosing a winner and a loser and um, isn't really making an attempt to be balanced and to try to yeah. find, help them find a way to co-parent and move forward. Because at the end of the day, it's about the kids. It's not about the two parties that are fighting and ending their marriage. John, you're absolutely correct, but here's the problem with that. No one in their right mind could disagree with what you just said. However, five seconds after they agree with you, it goes right out the window. Okay? Uh, of course it's about the children. Of course it is. But let's get back to what I want. Um, and, again, the, the process, the legal process, does not um, encourage that attitude. I don't care what you say. It encourages settlement between two adversaries. Horse trading, compromise, making a deal, mediation. Just mediate it. Come on, mediate something. Um, well, that's fine, except the children's needs may not be addressed by me telling you, all right, I'll tell you what. I'll give you every Tuesday, but I want every Christmas Eve. No, no. I'll give you every other Christmas Eve, but I want every Fourth of July. I mean, horse trading back and forth like that, as if in some way I'm, this is what belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the children. Well, there's nobody there to say that. And if I was there, I'd be told to be quiet because I'm really interfering with the settlement process as it exists today. The settlement process is please settle the case, get it off the court docket, make the mediator, the mediator gets a, a, a plus. We settled the case. I don't care how you say we settled it. And when I ask how you settled it, oh, well, I'm going to live in Old Bridge, and she's going to live up in, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Morris County someplace, 
And uh, we're going to have a week on and a week off with the kids, but they're going to go to school. What? How, what do you mean? You're going to drive the kids back and forth? Yeah. Oh, well, wow. I, but that's crazy for the kids. What kid wants to drive an hour in the car? Well, that was what was we. we that's what we agreed to. Well, talking about the children, the uh, children, Doctor Capania, are there any telltale signs that you've seen that a child is really having difficulty with a divorce? Um, well, see, the problem, of course, is is that unless I know the child, it's difficult to sort of bifurcate what issues are related to the divorce and what issues aren't. Um, you know, certainly um, somebody who, um, if, if it, it would depend upon the age of the child. Um, why don't we assume that divorce, breaking up a family, is a hurdle for the child. Let's take it, let's start there. It's a hurdle over which the child has to jump. It's our primary job as parents, not to make those hurdles any higher than they have to be. That's the first thing, okay? Now, um, I've dealt with kids over the years who were genuinely happy, genuinely happy that their parents are um, divorcing. Really? They fight all the time. Uh, You know, they were never together anyway. That's not the most common reaction you get, but you do sometimes get that. So you can't look at, I remember when they used to publish Time magazine, and I used to have it in my waiting room. Every year they'd have the how divorce destroys children issue. And it used to drive me crazy because not all divorce destroys children. Parents divorcing poorly can destroy children. But the process itself doesn't automatically destroy anyone. But I'm sorry, I digress, John. Um, Obviously, if your child's personality that you know, okay, is is changing, um, and I'm very reluctant to start naming things because there could be, if you have a teenager suddenly who becomes moody, well, I don't know if that's necessarily a divorce issue. They might be bipolar. <laughs> it might be bipolar. Yes, that's true. But but if you have... <laughs> I never heard that one, but I, I'm, I'm waiting to hear that. that. That'll be the next Very good. Very good. But I, I, the, Their I future think, wife you know, will tell them that, or their future there's, husband. There's, there's certainly nothing wrong. I mean, there, there are problems with one parent going out and consulting a therapist without discussing it with the other parent, and these two people can't agree what day today is, and it becomes a big hoopla. But, um, you know, certainly a divorce is an issue for kids, and it would be great if every child had, you know, some mental health professional to help them deal with jumping over the hurdle. Um, obviously, you can have symptoms. Sleep disturbances are very common in children. Um, sort of uh, behavioral difficulties at home or in school, or one or the other, not both. You see that frequently. Um, and then again, you go through bedwetting and all those sorts of things. If, if suddenly the child begins to wet the bed um, after having been you know, dry for some years, Generally, it's a pretty good indication that, you know, there's some, something going on, perhaps emo- usually emotional, but it could be physical, too. Um, so the, the idea is, is that, um, unfortunately, most people don't consult a therapist unless the child is really doing badly, and the kids just kind of have to tough it out. I think they're kind of in denial a lot that anything's wrong. 
because God forbid there should be some personal responsibility for what's going on with the child. Well, you also have the opposite, which is suddenly the child, according to the parents, has developed every symptom in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, it's all because of the, of the other parent. Um, yes. All of a sudden, they've yes. developed all these symptoms. Um, and sometimes they're right, and usually they're, they're somewhat exaggerated. Um, but clearly, um, having, and again, I'm not trying to be um, simplistic here, but if, if you're getting divorced and you have particularly um, latency, well, uh, um, children who are, maybe, you know, six, between six and 13, or that age, teenagers are a little different, but, you know, certainly they have groups in school, and the idea is to educate them a little bit about what divorce is and isn't. The first thing I tell kids when I meet them is, unless they're very young, is, um, hi, listen, you have to help me, we have a problem. Mom and dad are getting unmarried. Mm. Now, Remember what is what is what does that mean? Divorce. What is it getting? It means getting unmarried, right? Right. Yeah. So before you got to, before mommy and daddy got married, they had separate houses and they lived separate, right? Then they got married. Now they're getting unmarried and they're going to have separate houses again, but they have the kids. So we have to figure out, you know, how to get a good schedule for the kids. If you present it that way, um, you, you're not assuming the child is traumatized. You know, you're saying that, well, factually, mom and daddy getting unmarried, and we have to deal with this. Um, you don't have to choose sides, which is very, very important that children don't feel they have to do. However, if I really, really hate you, and the child knows that I really, really hate you, the child cannot be a diplomat. Very frequently, children are compelled to choose a side in the conflict. And that's when the bad guy parent, the parent at whom I'm angry, for no reason, I'm not really angry at them, but I'm angry because I'm allied with parent A. Parent B, I'm going to distance myself, and that's when you begin to get estrangement, pulling away, child's uncomfortable, little kids don't want to transfer, and then when they get the other house, they're okay. But they, they, they're forced to choose a side. And that's why the anger that the parents have will help the parent. It doesn't help the kids. Okay, so that's why it has to be modulated. What about My when, personal, when you get... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Your personal... No, it has to be modulated. I'm angry at you, however, it's not so intense that even the children pick it up, and A, it makes them anxious, B, it makes them conflicted. And if it's too intense, the only choice they have is to choose a side. And that's when you have trouble. So when you hear that, you know, little Johnny doesn't want to go to Dad's house, because I think you and I have had some issues like this with my clients in the past, I've always interpreted that as little Johnny doesn't want to go to dad's house. But sometimes you've suggested to me that it could be he doesn't want to leave mom because he feels some obligation to mom. Yeah, um, that would, again would be another great topic. Okay, <laughs> to too, too long to answer here. It's a little here. bit more complex than that. 
Um, You know, yes, the child is saying how the child feels, but it's a little bit more complicated with understanding what the transfer process between my house and your house means to the kid, especially if it's a hostage transfer. Yeah. Well, we can definitely talk about that more. We are going to have Dr. Campania on again. And the next topic is going to be not to sign that custody agreement just yet. (laughs) What a great topic. Yes. Wonderful. Well, we want to thank Dr. Campania so much for joining us today. Um, We're just scratching the surface on a lot of these topics. And I think it really makes you uh, think hard if you're going through a divorce about what you're doing to your children by the actions you're taking and the way you're interacting with your the co-parent. So um, again, thank you so much, Dr. Capania. And like Christina said, he's going to be on again very soon. So stay tuned and we'll see you next week.